Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Normally, before our sermon, we read our sermon lesson. This morning, we're not going to do that, and I'll explain why in just a little bit, okay? Our sermon is a continuation of our sermon series where we are defining Christianity. We're defining what God says in his word a Christian is. So, Just to be clear, one thing we need to remind ourselves throughout this series is this, is that while it is defining Christianity, we are not the ones defining it. We're listening. We're listening to what God's definition of his word says a Christian is. Over the past couple weeks, we've seen some things. We've seen that God's word describes kind of activities of what Christians do. Christians in week one are people who pray. In week two, Christians are people who rest rest in him. This week, we're not so much hearing about an activity that Christians do, but rather a state of being that Christians are grown, are planted by his word. Our series theme is that Christians grow by his word. Our our sermon theme is this, the reign of God's word. It's very clever, very clever, or at least I tried to be very clever with this theme for this sermon, the rain, R-E-I-G-N, for those who are just listening to this on podcast, or R-A-I-N, the rain of God's word. Why is it? Well, first, the rain of God's word. Psalm 55, or excuse me, Isaiah 55 is going to be our sermon lesson for this morning, and it concludes in this way. That's saying, this will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will do endure forever. Well, what is this last verse? In Isaiah 55, talking about what is the this that will be for the Lord's renown, that will be for a sign, will be his word. His word that endures forever. His word that will stand until the end. His word that will not pass away, but will accomplish the purpose always that it desires. This will be a sign of the Lord's reign in our hearts his kingdom forever. So this is the reign of the gospel, the reign of God's word. But secondly, the reason why it's R-A-I-N is in Isaiah 55, we're looking at a very famous, very familiar illustration that God gives in scripture. It is one using the experience of nature, equating God's word to rain and snow. And not like rain clouds, like on a rainy day, but the aspect of rain that is life-giving, that it is the gospel showers that give life to people's faith, strengthening it. Isaiah uses this picture of nature to describe the supernatural process by which Christians come to be Christians. It is through his word going out, accomplishing it as desire. It is his word alone that creates faith in people's hearts from the start and strengthens our faith forever. So this is the reign of God's word. Now, here's what we know about this text is that this sermon text addresses three groups of people, which are you. First, it addresses unrepenting sinners. It addresses people who, whether because they do not know God's word, they don't live according to it, or people who know full well what God's word has to say, and yet they do not care 
to turn to the Lord and live according to his ways, his thoughts, his word. This sermon addresses unrepenting sinners, but also thirsting people. People who look at their hearts and look at their lives and they know they need something that they do not have. It also addresses planting Christians, people who have received the life-giving water of God's word, who have experienced the peace and joy as that water wells up inside of them, filling them up to the fullness of the measure of God, producing fruit in their lives and wanting to share that with others. Now, this text addresses all three of those, and I asked you, which are you? Now, before you go and answer that, let me just tell you the answer. I am, you are, all three of these. Perhaps it is over the course of the week that we are all three of these. Maybe even over the course of the day or a single hour, Christian people can be all three of these people. So what we're going to do this morning, this is why I didn't read the text yet, is we are going to read through Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 11, three times. Three times. And each time that we read through it, we are going to apply it to these distinct people. And you might think to yourself, well, I'm here this morning. I'm not an unrepenting person. No, no, no. Here's what I want you to do. And I'm not saying that you are as you sit here in God's house. I want you to think about throughout the week, as we find ourselves being these people, what does God's word here have to say to me? This is Isaiah 55, and we're going to begin with the reign of God's word and what it says first to unrepenting peoples. God's word says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Literally in the Hebrews, it says, turn to God while he is findable. Well, he is able to be found. Now ask yourself this, how is it that the God who made heaven and earth, who created all things, simply makes himself found? Well, he chose to be that way. He chose to make himself findable. He chose to make himself near to us. If I can compare this to anything, it's me playing hide and go seek with my children, especially the young one. If I wanted to, I could hide in such a place and in such a way that my kids couldn't find me. I'm way better at hide and seek than my kids. But I don't do that. Why? Because they'd never find me. And so what do I do? I hide in places where they, they know where I'll be. That is what our God does. He makes himself findable to his children, to his people. And yet, how eternally tragic that there are people who want to go their own way. They just want to do their own thing. Even when the Lord is near. Near where? in his word, calling out through, through pastors, through people that God has placed in their lives, loved ones, friends, neighbors, relatives, saying, this is the way the Lord says to go. Walk in it. It is good. I say, no, I'm, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep doing my own thing. I'm going to keep placing my thoughts above the Lord's. 
That's literally what it means when we talk about turning to this Lord, this idea of repentance. This is an unrepenting person who keeps doing their own thing. You guys have seen me do this per near a hundred times by now, but what is repentance other than turning to God? It is walking away from him. Pretend the cross is Christ. It is continuing down a path that is not his, that is not according to his word, but repentance is this. It is stopping in our path and turning to him. It's, it's one fluid motion, both the stop and the turn and seeing him, seeing that his ways are good and they are wonderful. But unrepentance is the opposite. It is, it is continuing down their own way or mindset with their own thoughts. So we ask, as we think and apply this to ourselves, in what ways do we live as unrepenting sinners. Well, there's a lot of different ways I'm sure we could cover, but let's apply it specifically to our theme today, to the passages that we're looking at today. It's God's word that makes us grow. What are our attitudes towards God's word? Well, Matthew's gospel covers, covers three different mindsets or attitudes or responses to God's word that the people have in their lives. Could it be that that because we see something that God's word says that is, that is tough to understand or, or maybe challenges assumptions that we've had, that we just say, no, 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 I'm not turning towards that. I'm not, I'm not walking according to that. This is seed sown along the path. Could it be that God's word, his promises, his goodness, his hope, his forgiveness, it's pro- proclaimed to us, but the moment things get tough, well, we get going away from God. God says, I love you. You say, well, if you love me, why would you, why would you allow this challenge in my life? God says, I forgive you. But the moment we experience guilt and shame, we don't turn back. God couldn't forgive someone who does this. We experience all of the hope and the fellowship that comes with knowing God and his people. But when people who don't love God don't accept us, persecute us because of the effect that God's word has on our lives, we say, yeah, I, yeah, that's not for me. I don't, I don't know God. That's the rocky ground. Or is it more like thorns in your life? You know God's word, and in fact, you've experienced the joy that comes from it, the mercy, the full pardon there's, there's worries. Oh, there's deadlines to meet. So I, I couldn't take time for God's word today. It doesn't even need to be the deceitfulness of wealth. Like I'm just running after money. It could just be the enjoyment of the very luxurious existence that we enjoy in America in 2023. Time for God's word. I'd rather enjoy some entertainment, or just endlessly scrolling. Time for God's word. Well, no, I, I travel. I, I have hobbies. I'm tired. It's the worries of this life that choke it out. Why do we not repent? Why do we not turn to God? In his word, he offers this thought, this thought, that you probably heard before. Isaiah 55 says, 
God speaking, my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and your thoughts and my thoughts than your thoughts. Have you heard this passage before? Very often it's, it's taken and applied in this way that we contrast the way we think and the, and the capacity of our minds to the incomprehensible greatness and the glory of God. That's often how this passage is used, right? That's a good application, but it's not complete. Consider the context. Consider who he is talking about in these verses right here. He's talking about people who who won't turn from their thoughts, who won't turn from their ways. He says, why are you going to keep doing your own thing? Do Do you really think that you know better? My ways aren't your ways. And isn't that true? Isn't that true? Even, even for saints who know God's word, we still live as, as sinners, unrepenting at time as sinner saints. We're reading a book for our summer book club called Upside Down Spirituality. In it, the author has, has drawn out the idea that we don't think the way God does. Can I share a quote? Chad Bird, the author, said, Jesus doesn't just color outside the lines. He turns the paper over and draws a brand new image, his way of thinking and reforming our minds, his way of acting and redirecting our deeds, and his way of speaking and reteaching our tongues is so foreign to us that in virtually every situation in life which he touches, our first reaction will be to offer a prayer to him to reverse the thing that he's doing. God's wisdom and his ways seem so ungodlike, not because they actually are, but because they don't fit our preconceptions of how a divinity should act and where he should be. Where is God? He's near. He's made himself findable in his word. And because his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts higher than our thoughts, are we going to keep going down a path that seems right to us? But as Proverbs says, it it might seem right to us, but in the end, it leads to death. Isaiah offers an illustration here that we're going to look closely at today that that fits the whole theme of God working through his word to to grow our faith. And and while it's an encouragement to the other two, it's a warning. It's a warning to us. This passage began by saying, seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek the Lord while he is near. In other words, God is saying, right now is the time to seek him. Today, as the psalmist says, is the day of the Lord's favor. Today, now, there's this sense of urgency to the gospel message. Because it won't always be. Today, he is near. Today, he can be found. Seek him while that's true. But it might not always be. Have you heard the term time of grace? Time of grace is a term used to describe the life, the breath that God gives to us. It's the time that we have to experience the grace and the wonder of God. But it's not forever. Eventually, we all die. Or we are the living damned. 
because of our continued unrepentance, what God does to unrepentant sinners is eventually harden their hearts. Here's an illustration from God's word. We know that the reign of God's word, it will someday move past people's hearts who continue in unrepentance. God's word says this, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth and making it blood and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, God says, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent. Scripture compares God's word to life-giving rain showers. Throughout history, Church historians have compared that to the gospel movements over time in history. Think about it. Gospel showered and rained down in the Middle East over over Jerusalem and Israel. It came a time when people there rejected it. And while it still blooded and flourishes where God willed it, eventually the gospel rain cloud, if you will, it moved west. It poured over Europe for a time. And over history, you can see that the majority of people on that continent then rejected it. So it moved yet again to North America, where we get to enjoy the freedoms of the gospel. But is that any surprise that right now Christianity in North America isn't the place where faith is budding and flourishing most? No, the gospel rain clouds, if you will, have moved to other parts of the world. Central Africa, Southern Africa as well. The gospel rain cloud will someday move past unrepenting sinners. In the same way that it has over history, think of it in your own life. A shower pouring down on you from people that God has placed in your life, preaching, proclaiming, telling you the wonders of God's word, his love and forgiveness. And we get to enjoy that. We get to hear that. For those who are unrepenting, it will move on. But, but for people who recognize that the thoughts that they're having aren't good, that the way their life is going, it, they don't want it to end this way. For people who experience that, well, they're experiencing a spiritual thirst. A spiritual thirst is is just the same as a physical thirst. When you physically thirst, your mouth dries up because you need something that your body doesn't have. You need more hydration. You need more water. Spiritual thirst is simply recognizing that we don't have that which we need. And here, the rain of God's word, it pours into your life, causing people to bud and flourish. God's word says this, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Your heavenly father is saying to you and to me, peekaboo, I'm right here. You can find me. I am findable. I'm near to you. And you think to me, wait, I'm so lost. I'm I'm so thirsty. How how is it that I can ever search or or know for sure where God is? Where's his presence? He says, I'm near. I am near to you. I am near to you in my word. And listen to what happens as we turn to him, as we experience thirst. It says, let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God. And he will freely 
pardon. Isaiah chapter 55 begins with an invitation. It starts out by saying, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Say, wait a minute, why should I come and buy? I thought I had no money. Why is there this cruel invitation? Is that what it is, a cruel invitation to to drink and enjoy this water when I can't afford it? No. What we learn is this, that we who have nothing are given everything in Christ. He gives us that which we don't deserve. He gives us his mercy, saying for all of the unrepentance, for all of the sin that is in your life, I'm going to withhold the punishment. Why? Because I'm going to freely and fully pardon you. I have, in Christ Jesus, washed away all of your sins. You see, wait wait a second. That that to me, it it doesn't make sense any sense. We're absolutely right. Because God's word tells us, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That God would save sinners, of whom I and you with Paul can say, we're, we're the worst that God would do that freely, it doesn't make any sense. That's the con- contrast that God is making in these beloved verses, that his ways aren't our ways. He doesn't operate the way we think he does. He operates in a way that is all his own, forgiving the unforgivable, welcoming those that we might not consider the most Invited, wrapping his arms around us again and again and again, and not expecting us to do anything. That is the gospel. That is free and full pardon. That is his mercy poured out into us in gospel life-giving showers. And it comes to us in, in ways that we don't expect it. In a baby born in Bethlehem, That is our savior. And someone crucified died on a cross. That, that gives life. That bread and wine, very, very common, ordinary things. This would be the extraordinary experience by which God gives to you all of his gifts. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. But his ways are higher than our ways. This is not a commercial. This is not a commercial to join the book club if you haven't already. Maybe it is. If you scan the QR code, you can sign up for it. But in the book, this is the last reference to the book that I'll make today. In the book, the author cites C.S. Lewis to give a really moving illustration of how God works in our lives. I'll read it. C.S. Lewis writes, imagine you are living, you are a living house. God comes to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what God is doing. He's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abnormally and does not seem to make any sense to you. What on earth is he up to, you ask? The explanation, 
is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor here, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought that you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace and he intends to come and live in it himself. Our hearts, by nature, do not grasp the immensity of God's love, nor do they understand the intimacy with which he desires to live in us and transform us. That is the gospel. And then we get this beautiful metaphor. Jesus says, as the rains and the snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Note the promises. He will cause his word to bud and flourish. It will not come back to him empty. What is his purpose? His purpose is that it instills in us the mercy of God, forgiving us freely and fully. He promises that it will achieve that in you. And we often use the word experiencing blessings, that we're so blessed. No, it'll make you bud and flourish. It'll make you produce fruit in your lives by the Holy Spirit of joy and peace, of patience and kindness and goodness. This is the gospel. Here's one more. The last one that this one speaks to is Christians, Christians who are planting Christians. The reign of God's word will cause your seeds to grow. Now, this is the only one where I kept the picture because it's a rather remarkable picture. Look at how much fun this woman is having, gardening, planting things, and looks like reaping a harvest of tomatoes there. I mean, she is so happy. And doesn't it make sense? Doesn't it make sense that, well, this is what Isaiah 55 verse 12 says. After, after you experience God's word and it, it acts just like water, here's a promise. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into songs before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. The natural result of having God's word water our hearts with his living word is that we know peace. We know joy. And we want to go out and shout that and share that with people. That is the natural outflow of the gospel in our lives. That the mission that God gave to the church to share his good news, it's going to happen. And throughout God's word, he compares it to a farmer or to someone who plants seed. And that can be magical, can it? You can, you can have a lot of fun just like her, right? You put a seed in the ground and it is, it is. We joked with the kids before. It's not magic, but it seems almost magical that the seed disappears. You, you don't do anything. And then time later, you, you see a little green sprout pop up. And as it's watered and, and planted, it grows and grows and grows and often produces a yield of crop that you couldn't even imagine. It can be a lot of fun, right? But it can also be frustrating. 
I know my experience is that. Maybe it's because I keep plants in my basement and don't think through sunshine like Delaney pointed out. Or maybe it's because I forget to water them. Or maybe it's because despite my best efforts, I plant things outside, insects, birds, come and take it. Weeds just grow up and choke it out. Now, planting can be a beautiful and fun experience. It can also be very frustrating. That's what God's word compares it to. He offers, offers both the warning and the comfort, the warning that, look, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen that as, as you let people know about the mercy and the pardon that they have from God, and you proclaim that, the devil's gonna smother it. He's going to come and snatch it when it lands on hard ground. He's going to make sure that after you proclaim it, people experience worries and whatever else is is more important. And it chokes out. But he also offers that as comfort. He offers his comfort saying that, look, that's the way it operates. But remember, your thoughts, they're not mine. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are, are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's word says, remember planting Christians. It's me who makes things grow. It's out of your control. Just like Paul and Apollos, you, you can plant seeds, but it's not up to you. You say, that's strange comfort. No, no, that is warm hope. That is warm hope that the, that the growing is, is not up to us. We can't make it grow, and it's not up to us when it does or does not grow. That's the responsibility of the Holy Spirit working through his word. You say, oh, I don't understand it. I, I don't understand despite my best efforts. Here's the comfort. My ways are higher than your ways, says God. So what's left for us to do? It's just to plant to plant and let the water of God's word do its thing. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. I know for a fact that you have people in your life that, that fit one of these three caricatures. Maybe they seem like unrepenting sinners sometime, thirsting people at other time, or planting Christians. Planting Christians, maybe you feel very often that, that you're casting seed to no avail to your friends, to your neighbors, to the people that God has placed in your life that you encounter on simple day-to-day basis or, or regularly. What do we do? What do we do when we, when we see worries snuffing it out? God says, just scatter seed. Just keep throwing seed. As we sing it very often, recklessly scatter that seed about because here's his promise. God's word will not return to him empty. It will accomplish what he desires. And what is that desire? 
It is the desire of graciously turning people back to him. It is the desire of letting people know again and again that he is near them and he's near you as you scatter that good news seed abroad. He is near to you. He is findable as he reveals himself by his word, offering his full pardon. May God bless it for Jesus' sake. Amen.